This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Jane Sullivan, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you, Cheryl. Uh, Jane has been a literary journalist in Australia and Britain for the last 40 years, currently working for The Age as a feature writer, reporter and editor, and writing the long-standing column Turning Pages for The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald. Jane also contributes regularly to the Australian Book Review. Jane has won the Australian Human Rights Award for journalism. She has previously written The White Star and Little People. Growing Up With Books, Storytime is a bibliomemoir of Jane's experience of revisiting her favourite childhood novels. It is a collection of essays on classics such as Winnie the Pooh, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, Enid Blyton's Castle of Adventure and The Little Women. The book is a journey of self-discovery, learning about who young Jane was through her perspectives on the stories with the beauty of hindsight. Jane once described her childhood reading, these books had shaped her, little Jane, but she had also shaped these books. For me, um, it's beautiful in a way that I think life itself is about stories. Yes, I guess it is. All stories are about life. You can go, go either way, really, can't you? Can't yes. you? Mm. And you have def- been defined by story. I think I have, yes. Uh, When I was um, beginning to think about writing this book, what really spurred me on was the fact that, as you you outlined, I spent most of my life and my career um, writing about books or writing books or thinking about books or reading books. And they've always been very, very important to me, both professionally and and as recreation. Um, And yet, of all the books I've read, the ones that stay with me most are the ones I read when I was a child. They seem to have got me at some emotional level that I've never quite replicated since. And I sometimes wonder whether all my reading now is because I'm trying to get back to that original state. It's kind of formative, isn't it? Yes. I I often talk about um, how reading... Because I started school at six and I've talked mm. about this before at the podcast and my parents are Lebanese and so I had no lang- no English language. So I started school and I couldn't read or write. Oh boy, that must have been hard. Well, yeah. it wasn't. I don't wasn't. remember it being traumatic at all because I think children are so resilient. Yeah. But I remember being drawn to the picture books. Yes, yes. I think that's the first thing that draws you. I can remember the first picture books I I looked at. And um, in fact, when I was learning to read or before I'd even learned to read, that what I remember are the pictures in the books. Absolutely. And and then later on, what what I remember are the words as well as the pictures when I could actually read myself. Yeah. I remember reading picture books thinking that I was reading. I don't remember that 
you know, like I probably couldn't read, but that didn't seem to me to be a problem. Well, I actually <laughs> thought that I was under the misconception that reading was being able to recite the whole book off from memory. So that's wow. what I do. I try and me- memorise a book. If it was very short, I had some chance of doing that and the pictures yeah. were good cues to get me to remember things. I thought, oh, look at me, I'm reading, how clever. Yeah. It was quite a long time later that I realised that there's a bit more to reading than that. And once I discovered that, I was thrilled. That yeah. was really set me do off. Do you know what I think sometimes... I I think what's happening um, now with parents is and children is sometimes, you know, and people send us emails all the time about this, um, about reading and it's become a literacy exercise rather mm. than mm. a joyful exercise. It should be fun. I mean, read, reading Absolutely. should not be a lesson. Mind you, we had very boring reading lessons at school. We, we, I grew up in England and we had to read some books called Janet and John. Oh. And, oh, boy, were they boring. They I, I, sound <laughs> boring. <laughs> Janet and John. It was John. all, you know, run, John, run. And, yeah. and it was very sex segregated, you know, yeah. Janet and John's mum did all the housework and dad went out to work and I think they had a dog but oh I I couldn't wait to get away from Janet and John and get to some real adventures. Yeah and I I say that to parents all the time you know just um, literacy is very very important but reading stories for pleasure is equally Mm. as important. And that's what makes you learn you don't learn because you're having a tough time you learn because it's fun. Yeah okay so tell me about you so how did you come because this is quite a big career where did you grow up? I, I grew up in London yeah um, and my parents were Australian and oh, they, they okay. come over to um, England after the war and they're both artists and my father in particular used to draw a, a cartoon which uh, later ran in the Melbourne newspaper um, The Age and it was called Colonel Pewter and some of your older listeners might remember it. It was very successful and it ran for a long time. And um, he also did political cartoons and illustrations and oh, so on. I think on. those people yeah. are so clever. It's yeah. not about drawing, is it? Oh, it was yeah. because he used to make up stories. That, yeah. that was his thing as, as well as the actual art which yes. he was very good at. He made up these stories. Every cartoon yeah, tells a story. Indeed. And my first efforts at writing were actually cartoons. I'd, I'd copy my dad and I'd do little drawings and I'd put balloons over people's heads. And, after, and I was very excited when I discovered if you do one of those little fluffy balloons, it means you can put in what somebody's thinking as well as what oh, they're yes, saying. So well that was a big discovery. And so um, tell me then, what did you do in terms of reading? Talk to me about those first early books that you read. Um, I can't remember the very first books I read, but some of the very early ones I think would have been, I'm afraid for, to admit this, it would have been something like Noddy, the Noddy books. Yeah. Um, and books with big illustrations and not many words. And I do remember reading a, a book about a character called Mr Hip, who was a hippopotamus. And uh, it, there, was a, there was a big bit in, in the um, story where it said, Mr. Hip packs his portmanteau, um, portmanteau being a suitcase. Yeah. And I never come across that word and it was a bit strange and I didn't quite know and I'd heard it before so I had a stab at it and I came out with Mr. Hip packs his dumb borer and I was very <laughs> pleased with that. My parents thought that was very funny. Yeah. Um, I um, Things, uh, I don't know what you were reading at the time, but mm. um, Charlotte's Web had a big impact on me. I've never read that book. I, it oh. seems to completely pass me by. But I do have, uh, I think it's Trent Dalton writes about the Charlotte yeah. Webb's in my, in, Webb in my book. I've got con- contributions from other writers. Well, aren't you lucky yeah. that you've got that to look forward to? Indeed, yes. Yeah. Oh, look, the, it's been a, one of the voyages of discovery I've made is all the books I've missed and that I'm yes. now going to, going to read. So that's, yeah, yeah. that was great too. I often, once I've read a, book, a good book, when I've read a good book and I meet someone who hasn't read it, I think, oh, they're so lucky. 
They're yes, going to have yes, that experience. Indeed, yes. <laughs> All right. So you're growing up in the in London with mm-hmm. Australian parents. Yes, indeed. Okay. Yes. So tell me about that. Well, uh, it was it was a, we we lived in a place in St John's Wood, and my dad yes. drew in a separate studio, and we had what was a fairly um, typical middle class. Um, upbringing for girls in the 50s, me and my younger sister, and we went to the local primary school. We, we didn't have a lot of money, but even so, we seemed to be quite comfortably off in those days. And um, I didn't go through any terrible traumas or no. anything like that. It yeah. was a happy childhood. Uh, but I was very um, shy and introverted and um, solitary. I did have one friend who lived down the road, but when I went to primary school, I found it very hard to make friends. Um, I went a term late and all the little girls had made their friendships already and it was terribly difficult to break into that circle if you weren't a very assertive person. Yeah, Yeah. it was very, very hard. And that was one of the difficulties of my childhood that I couldn't make friends. And so I think that's one of the reasons why I retreated into books because there I could find friends. I I hear that often. I the hero of the story and so on and be much braver version of myself Mm. yeah so um yeah that that was pretty much my childhood and books everywhere I used to go down to the library all the time and borrow books and uh, there was a local library there was the St John's Wood Library there's also the Marylebone Library which I remember because it had these huge lions outside the, the, the door a bit like the New York um library and occasionally I'd get a book for my um Christmas or my birthday from relatives and that was very exciting. I didn't always enjoy the books I was given, I have to say, but on the whole I did. Tell me, if you were going to say what were your three favourites of that during that time, just back then? That's very, very hard. Yeah, Um, it is hard. I mean, I I couldn't get it down to three in this book, for example. something that had a lasting effect on you. Um, Well, I think I would, I'll tell you what, yeah. One of the things I found when I was rereading was uh, the, I think the book I enjoyed most rereading was The Wind in the Willows by yeah. Kenneth Graham and that did have a big impact on me at the time, I remember too. And I just think it's, it's a wonderful book because it's, um, it, it's partly the illustrations by E.H. Shepherd, which is just fantastic. Beautiful. He also did the Winnie the Pooh books, which are yeah. other favourites of mine. And, and it's partly the story was just such a wonderful combination. On the one hand, you've got this really rumbunctious story about Mr Toad and his friends and frolicking and doing all sorts of dreadful things. Mr Toad was awful, but he was such fun. You, you couldn't help loving him anyway. And on the other hand, there was this strange sort of rather numinous, magic, poetical air to the book, which and you wouldn't think those two things would sit together. And there was a chapter called The Piper at the Gates of Dawn, which was really, really strange. And it used to give me goosebumps and make me feel slightly ill. It was so strange. But it was a good sort of ill feeling. Yeah, and the and power I, of yeah, yeah. And I remember that that when I read it again. And I, I just think it's it's one of the best books I've ever read actually. Yeah, it's an extraordinary wow. book. Yeah, okay. So then you went on to university, I gather. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Tell yes. me about that. I went to Oxford and I studied English language and literature and we did things like um, Anglo-Saxon and Middle English and I read Beowulf. I'm one of the few people I know who's read Beowulf in the original Anglo-Saxon, which is quite a struggle because it really is like reading a foreign language. It's nothing like English at all. Um, And the the course only went up to about 1900, so it's very old-fashioned. But it did give me a very good grounding in, in literature and poetry and so on. The only problem with it was that it, it rather um, 
spoiled my ambitions as a writer because you read all this fantastic stuff and you think, how can I ever write anything as good as that? Yeah. So that, it was a bit of a, um, a, a damper on my spirits in that way. But what I realised was I really wanted to write. That was my ambition. And I also thought, well, I've got to make some money at it. I can't just go out and write books and hope they'll sell. I have to have a, some kind of job where, where they pay me every week. And um, so I went into journalism uh, which I really enjoyed and I started off working on local papers and then I came out to Australia in 1979. And why? Uh, well, my dad was... Had, it's a long story, but my parents had gone back to Australia and my dad was working at The Age in Melbourne and um, I was going through a bad patch at home. We were having a journalist strike. We had no money. Uh, it was, we were just short of everything really and it was very cold winter and the pipes were all freezing. And my dad said, well... Why don't you come out and, and they're looking for reporters on the age. Um, so I, I sent off some co some copies of my stories and I didn't think much about it. Next thing they'd offered me a job. Oh, wow. So I persuaded my husband to come out with me. He didn't need much persuasion, I have to say. <laughs> with the frozen yeah. pipes and yeah, everything else going indeed. on. Well, we thought it we'd just come work. out for a couple of years and yeah. just do a, a working holiday. And we realised at the end of the couple of the years that we were staying. And I... I'd, I had dual nationality, so it was easy for me to get into the country and I sponsored my husband as an, as an immigrant and he later became an Australian citizen. So there we were living in Australia and I was working as a journalist and I did that for a, a very long time. Yeah. Full time. And talk to me about that, you know, because journalism is... Is storytelling, but it's very, very different, isn't it? Yes. Uh, the obvious thing is it has to be a true story or yeah. as true as you can find out anyway. Yeah. You have to stick to the facts. Uh, but what I enjoyed most about journalism was not so much the, the news side of it, but the feature side of it, yes. which does give you an opportunity to use a bit of craft and narrative skill and, and some of the techniques that you use in, in fiction. It's very much constrained. You can't really use your imagination. You've got to stick to what's actually the truth but and I also enjoyed going out meeting people and talking to them and um just just finding out stuff I discovered I was rather more curious than I thought yeah um and uh, gradually over the years uh, I did all sorts of things I worked overseas um, I, I was editing for quite a long time I did various editing jobs at the age and gradually I migrated a bit more towards the arts and towards writing about books and I was literary editor at the age for a, a few years and um, then I went off. Jason Steger's there now, is that right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yes, yeah. I, I do most of my work for, for Jason in fact. Right, yes. okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and then I started writing a column called Turning Pages which has been running for many, many years now. I, I must be possibly a you know record long column i say that and they'll probably axe it next week that's the way these things work but but be still. careful yeah. yeah but no it ran for a very long time and every week i had to think up something to write about about books and writing and so on and i thought oh dear i'll run out of ideas but i never have no. cross fingers touch wood there's always been something interesting to write about and even when you write about a particular subject, you can come back to it six months later and everything's different. It's completely changed. You Absolutely. can find new things to write about. Yeah. And there are new books every day and there are yes. new ways of yes. writing and, you know, so much storytelling. I mean, even podcasts are introducing another form of storytelling, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And I also interview authors, which is a bit like what you're doing to me. Yes. You know, I, but I write them up for the paper and, and yeah. I do a bit of that. And I those stories reviewing. never get yeah. dulled, you know. No, no, that's true. We, yeah. um, I think we've hit um, two so – we only launched our podcast maybe three years ago now mm-hmm. and we've hit 250 interviews and 350,000 wow. downloads. And, you know, I've never walked away thinking, well, that was dull. I mean, it, it, <laughs> yeah, the person yeah. is always, it's so unique and it's so interesting. But there are common threads. Mm-hmm. They're always usually readers, big readers. Yes, yes, yes. that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> and also they're so drawn to writing that yeah. it overrides everything else. It does. It's it's a bit of a, a an addiction, I think. It's yeah. A, 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 I suppose it's a bit more healthy than the pokies or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) But you probably make less money. But anyway. All right, so tell me about Storytime and how that came about. Well, as I said, that was uh, because I wanted to go back and discover the origins of of my reading and my passion for reading and particularly the books that had shaped me when I was young. And I suspect, I didn't know for sure, but I had a feeling they had shaped me in some way. And I wanted to discover what it was about them that I needed at the time that was so important to me. And so I had a, I worked out a system that what I would do would be I would pick about 15 books that I read between the ages of 7 and 11, which seemed to me the most formative years when you're reading for yourself and before you go on to adult books. We didn't have young adult literature and I was young at all. When I started yeah. my career, there, was, there wasn't why no, at all. No. You went from children's to and, adult. And there wasn't that sort of choice that there is now when no. I was young. There, there were far fewer books for, for children. Um, but there were some very good ones and there were some great classic books that have endured. So what I did was I sat down and um, I, th- I wrote down what I could remember about books like Alice in Wonderland, Winnie the Pooh, uh, Little Women, um, uh, Enid Blyton uh, and uh, a number of others. And um, and then I would take one book by each author and I would go back and read it again. And then I'd write down my new impressions of the book, which are often quite at odds with the first impressions, either because I'd forgotten stuff and remembered it wrong or because my reaction as an adult was different from my reaction oh, you, as a I child. I think you bring a totally new perspective. Mm. It was. It was like two completely different perspectives or like an extra dimension almost yeah. on, on the book. And then after that I would um, do a bit of research about the book and how it had been received and about the author and so on. And then when I'd got all this together and I'd made lots of notes, I'd just sit down and try and work out, I'd come up with a hypothesis about what I thought this book had meant to me. What were the elements in this book that were important to me? And what I found as I moved from one book to another, that I'd come up with a nice little neat hypothesis that seemed to work beautifully. And then I go on to the next book 
and I found that the hypothesis was completely wrong. And I, I realised that the reasons why I enjoyed a book were not the reasons I thought. And as I went on, the other discovery that was quite extraordinary to me was that it wasn't just the books that were different from what I remembered. It was me. I was different from oh, what yeah. I remembered. Young Jane, the, the, the young girl aged between 7 and 11, was different from the girl that I'd imagined and, and remembered her to be. So, And I discovered that through reading these books and the memories that came back and the reflections that came as a result of that. So that's why it's a memoir, really. Mm, I, I, I can absolutely relate to that. And I completely understand the different perspectives. I remember I didn't read The Tale of Peter Rabbit by Beatrix Potter until I was... I don't know, in my late 20s, mm. uh, I was working in a bookstore and I used to just take a little book um, to my tea break and just read them <laughs> one at a time. And that would be very different to reading them when you were young. I just oh, love yes. them. Yeah, I they're love very, the, very charming, aren't they? Yes. They are yeah. so charming mm. and the magic. It's almost a short story in mm. every book, mm. you know. And children love them, of course, because... Peter Rabbit is naughty. Children really love naughty, naughty. characters. Yeah, they they yeah. don't want to read about good little animals at all. No. No, they've got to be naughty. Yeah, yeah. Mr Toad, I think, is the ultimate naughty animal. He's really shocking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also she doesn't shy away from violence or anything else. Mm. She just kind of went straight to the point. And each book yeah. was, I thought, a complete short story yeah. in a sense. And you mentioned violence. There's actually a lot of violence in children's there stories. Is. And I was amazed when I went back to read The Magic Pudding, which was one of my, I think, probably my favourite Australian books. I had Australian relatives used to send me a lot of Australian books, so I read those as well as the English ones. I wanted to talk to you yeah. about the difference between Australian classics yeah. and English classics, but finish your yeah. trail of thought uh, well, and we'll come ma- back to The that. Magic Pudding was very violent <laughs> yes. and it was unprovoked violence. Mm. The, 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 the pudding owners, who were the heroes of the story, uh, were threatened by the pudding thieves, always trying to steal the pudding, and they were just go lay into them and, and hit them with their fists and beat them up. And on one occasion they pushed the possum into a fire and they were really, really violent. And the language was very violent too. And the, the insults they came up with were beautifully inventive. They were not, they were not swear words, but they looked like swear words. Yeah. And they sounded like swear and words. And they were meant to be yeah. swear words. And, and the adult me was a bit shocked by all this, and, but, but the young me just delighted in it. Yeah. It was so rough and rugged. I mean, what about the Brothers Grimm? Oh, yeah, I haven't written... I'd made no. a rule I wouldn't write about fairy tales because that, you know, yeah. it just gets too huge then. But, yes, I do remember some of the stories in The Brothers Grimm were absolutely terrifying. The, the juniper tree is one of the uh-huh. most terrifying stories ever written, I yeah, think. And really? the, it's a story for children. Yeah, <laughs> Harry Potter too. I mean, there's yeah. so many. Um, okay, so I want to talk to you about, yeah, adult classics and English mm. classics because... Really? I mean, you would have grown up on English classics and when did you start reading Australian classics and was there any difference for you? Well, I got most of my Australian books from my uncle Frank and his wife Pat who lived in Canberra right. and they used to send over regularly books as presents for me and Julia. Isn't and that so it, so <laughs> I read books like um, uh, books by Nan Chauncey who was a you know big writer yes. at the time um, and uh, that when I was a bit younger I read a, a book called um, Digit Dick and the Tasmanian Devil, I think it was called, and you couldn't call a book Digit Dick now, could you? <laughs> and I, funnily enough, I don't know that book. But yeah. anyway. <laughs> and and um, and Snugglepot and Cuddle Pie and yeah. Blinky Bill, and I remember crying my eyes out when Blinky Bill's dad is shot and dies. Terrible, one of the terrible scenes in in um, children's literature of a death. The other terrible scene of in children's literature of a death is also Australian, and that's in Seven Little Australians, Australians. when Judy dies. 
eyes, and that was another one that made me weep my heart out. Um, uh, so I, I'm not sure there was a very distinct difference between Australian books and, and English books. But perhaps the Australian books are a little less known, but I, w- I was very glad I had that early exposure to them. Um, and uh, friends who tell me that they grew up in Australia and then they came to England and they thought, oh, this is the land of the books. When I came to Australia, I thought, oh, this is the land of the books because I could see gum trees and the leaves look just like the leaves in Snugglepot and Cuddle Pie and I yes. could see Banksias. I thought, oh, that's where those horrible Banksia men come from. So coming to Australia, as I did when I was um, about 30, that was a discovery for me because I thought I saw the, the books of my childhood in Australia and it's usually the other way around. <laughs> People go to England and they see the books of their childhood. What about American <laughs> I didn't read many of those, but one I did read that very much stuck in my mind was Little Women. Yes. And I'm afraid I didn't like Little Women. (laughs) And I was felt very guilty because I knew I was supposed to like it. It was this great classic book for girls. And there were very few books actually for girls then. It was mostly, the characters were mostly male and they were mostly... um, having male adventures and, and the girls were kind of add-ons, of subordinate characters. It was very sexist, although I didn't realise it at the time. I didn't really know what sexism was. But Little Women was definitely about girls growing up and I, I was sure that I was supposed to love it. And in particular, the, the character of Jo, one of the sisters, is, is a budding writer. Mm. And all budding writers are supposed to identify with Jo. And I did not. I did oh. not like Jo at all. And I realised the reason why I was jealous of her because she was she <laughs> was a young writer. She, you know, by, by her early teens, she had written stories and had them published and she had won prizes and then she wrote a novel and she got that published. And I think I was about nine when I read Little Women and I thought, oh, I'm never going to be able to catch up with this this girl. You know, she's, she's way ahead of me. I'm, I'm hopeless. I never even managed to finish the stories I write and she finishes them gets and published and wins prizes. And, oh, I hate her. <laughs> I love the fact that you're jealous of a fictional character. Uh, tell me about modern classics like now. Are people mm. still writing classics? I don't actually know the answer to well, that. Well, I suppose you don't know something's a classic until a yes. few years have gone yeah. by. I mean, I suspect the Harry Potter books will last. Yeah. They have their admirers and their detractors, but I think they will survive. And the funny, the funny thing is I don't think a book has to be beautifully written to survive. Mm. The, the Enid Blyton books are terribly written. I think mm. she's an awful writer. Mm. But there's something about the way she appeals to children that just goes on and on and on and, and always will, I think. Mm. She, mm. she takes them into that world of adventure like nobody else and, and therefore I just have to abandon all my usual criticisms when I look at Enid Blyton and think, well... She's got something that kids want and it yeah. may be not something that adults want. There's a difference, but, yeah. but that, she has it. Mm. So talk to me about more modern classics. What's out, what, in terms of the children's mm. world, what are you thinking might survive? Um, well, uh, that's a difficult question. I, I'm really not sure. I mean, there, there are books for very young children that seem to um, hit a chord, I, I think, well, then again, I'm thinking books that are a few years old. Uh, I don't know when modern really starts. Um, you've, you're looking at very young children. I suspect books like The Very Hungry Caterpillar seems to just go mm. on forever. Um, Marcus Sendak. Morris Sendak. Sorry, Morris Sendak. Where the Wild Things Are. are. I, think, I think that's a classic, definitely. That's such a favourite yeah. of mine. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, this is a tricky question. I I anyway, I was just a, yeah, it was just a thought that what yeah. will people be reading yeah. in twenty years' time? Yeah. Maybe they'll still be reading probably, the classics. Probably Harry Potter. Probably Roald Dahl. I think yes, Roald Dahl's definitely going to last. Roald yes, Dahl. Yeah. 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 I think perhaps I'm more confident about Roald Dahl than anybody else because he he's very dark and he's very naughty and children just love that. Mm. Do you think we're kind of, um, I don't know what the word is, that we're, we're stripping the violence from books, aren't we, more and more? Um, well, there seems to be a lot of parental concern about yes. that. Uh, we, uh, I think we do a lot of sanitising now. That was the um, word I was looking yeah, for. And, and there are things like a lot of those old books have some pretty um, pretty striking racism, for example, and they mm. try to take that out or at least to provide some kind of explanation to children that this is how people fought them but we don't think that now, you know. Yeah. Um, and, the, for example, I think in the... Um, the Magic Faraway Tree books by Enid Blyton, there was a character called Dame Slap who used to slap kids as punishment and I, I think she got sanitised, she got given some other name that wasn't the name right. of a slap. And the, the gollywogs seem to have mysteriously disappeared. You remember the gollywogs? Yes, yeah. um, who I never thought were supposed to be black people. I thought they were a kind of animal like a teddy bear. Yeah. Um, but they have been purged. Um, so it's probably more the racial things than anything else. But, but yeah, I think, I think we do worry about violence more. But I, I actually think kids don't mind violence. I think they rather like it. See, I agree with you. And yeah. I think too, kids just take in what they're ready to take in at mm. the time mm. and they'll come back to it if they read yeah. it in 10 years' time they'll see it completely differently I do well. remember reading um, Matilda to my son when he was young. Yeah. And we got to the bit where um, the horrible teacher, Miss Trunchbull, is, is picking Matilda up by her plaits and swinging her around. <laughs> and I was just horrified at this dreadful <laughs> child abuse. And my son was just sitting there laughing his yeah. head off. He thought it was hilarious. Yeah. So it's just something about those, those uh, stories that that children love and that adults don't really quite appreciate in the same way. Have your children become lovers of literature as well? Oh, it's just my son. Yes. Um, I'm afraid not. He's been surrounded by <laughs> books all his life, but but he's gone into computers and he works in IT now. He's right. an adult um, and he doesn't read much. Um, he does watch story in the sense that he'll watch um, uh things on Netflix or yeah. he'll go to the cinema and he likes Quentin Tarantino and yes. things like that. So he uh, he's a fan of story, I'd say. He's not a fan of literature or writing. Oh, it doesn't matter what medium you get. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Jane Sullivan, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, Join your local public library and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.